Hi, Eric Goldwine here from the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. They say everything's bigger in Texas, and that's why this episode of the Nursing Home 411 podcast will feature not one, but two interviews with Texans about the evolving role of ombudsmen during COVID-19. Up first, Pamela Mickens, a staff long-term care ombudsman with the Senior Source in Texas, discusses the challenges of advocating for nursing home residents during the pandemic. Next, Patty Ducaye, Texas State Long-Term Care Ombudsman, chats about hosting a weekly Facebook Live show and leveraging technology to reach caregivers, ombudsmen, and volunteers. Hope you enjoyed the show. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. I am here with Pamela Mickens, who's a, a staff long-term care ombudsman with the Senior Source in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Pamela. We talked. We spoke for the first time last week, and I was asking you uh, to explain your role as an ombudsman, and you described it as a conduit. Um, what do you mean by by that? And can you can you explain your role um, as an ombudsman and why you call it a conduit? Um, my role as an ombudsman is to advocate, uh, be a voice uh, for persons who are in long term care uh, communities. I currently cover primarily nursing homes, uh, and I have two assisted living facilities that are uh, connected with a, a nursing home. It's a continuum care community. So as a result of being um, uh, a long-term care ombudsman, what I do is um, advocate for those residents. And I provide information, educational information to family members as it relates to uh, long-term care issues, uh, provide information to staff uh, as it relates to residents' rights. So you were asking me about uh, a conduit. Why did I use that term? I use that term because that con- a conduit helps to move information from one point to another. And that is largely what we do, or I see my role as an ombudsman, is to get the information from the resident, anything that pertains to a resident, and work it through to completion. The conduit is that vessel. All personal issues that may come up, our personal feelings are suspended during that time process because the focus is on the person or the persons that the complaint is applicable to. You also mentioned like the emotions and how you uh, you need to remove yourself, which is incredibly hard um, at all times, but especially over these last few months. Um, why, why do you need to remove your emotions out of it? Why it wouldn't being emotionally invested in a way show your support for a resident 
or in their family? Yeah, certainly as a professional, it's important to be able to acknowledge that those emotions can be there. But we are charged with working with a lot of, of individuals, a lot of people. Uh, so that emotional well-being, that emotional stability is, is very critical. Now, have I ex- shown emotions or expressed emotions with uh, residents and family? Absolutely. Allow me to share a story without disclosing the resident's name. I had a resident in a nursing home, and it's, the resident's wife called me. And she, um, she said, I haven't seen my husband since March 13th. And when I have seen him, you know, it's been through the window, um, having difficulty with getting a Zoom meeting set up. And I finally talked with her about doing a care plan meeting. We made arrangements to get the care plan meeting, you know, in place and so forth. Mrs. X called me about that night and left a message on my voicemail and said, my husband passed away. I was so outdone. I was so hurt. It was like my own grandfather had passed and I was very transparent with her. I shared my, my feelings you know, with her because I, you know, not only was I validating her, but I mean, I felt it in my heart that here this couple had been married for well over 50 some odd years. They had never been separated with the exception of being in a nursing home. And the last time she saw her husband, he was, she was looking at him through a window. So she did not have, you know, any physical contact with him. So yes, I expressed my emotions came out, okay? Did my emotions come out when I was working on getting the care plan meetings set up? No, it was not necessary to do that. But sometimes, you know, you just have to be true to yourself, you know. Right. So you're not a robot, but you are. Oh, no, no. Oh, goodness. No, by the time I get to the nursing home administrators, I have usually kind of composed myself. And the conduit, you know, we must be able to do that, Eric so that we can communicate that information from the complainant. And I really don't like using that term complainant, but that's what we have from the resident or the, or the resident's responsible party or whoever brought it to the end, because we are charged with trying to bring about a resolution that will be satisfactory to the resident. Okay. So those emotions, it's important to be able to put them where they need to be while working through that process. And if we're to, to stretch the, uh, the conduit mm-hmm. metaphor, uh, mm-hmm. COVID has blocked a lot of these channels or um, clogged um, a, a lot of these communication channels in which you facilitate information what ex- how exactly has that complicated your um, your role as a conduit? Well, I would certainly say, at least in terms of the resolution side of it, being able to get in and put eyes on the residents to actually see what is going on, um, not only from the problem standpoint, but also to the resolution side of it. 
uh, currently um, uh, we are having to rely upon what is being told to us by the facility staff. If the resident is able to confirm that a uh, grievance has been resolved uh, to his or her satisfaction, then we accept that. But again, everything is being done primarily verbally unless there is a way to visually see, you know, that a that a matter has been attended to. The response or the uh, the response of all ombudsmen. In fact, I was talking to um, your colleague Patty Ducaye, uh, who has a different role than you, but she I, I spoke to her about uh, she launched a like weekly Facebook video show, um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of to communicate with families and to, to communicate with other uh, ombudsmen, you're closer to the ground level. And I'm curious how you or how you have leveraged technology or, or changed some of your communication methods um, since March. Well, I would say since March, the primary method of uh, communicating with the nursing home staff and with residents and family members has been through these virtual platforms. You know, with the exception of being able to go out into the facilities uh, to either do outdoor visits or some indoor visits. Prior to COVID, we were in the building weekly, but now, you know, we are having to use technology as our primary source of, of communicating. You're talking directly to residents. You're having like uh, FaceTime calls or Zoom calls directly with residents. Do staff, is it usually the case that the staff will be holding the iPad or, or whatever device? Or is it sometimes the case where the resident just has the device? Uh, how does that typically go? It varies. There are some residents who have cell phones. So I talk directly with those residents. For residents who don't have cell phones, then I have to coordinate with the uh, facility staff to, to be able to make that contact with them. And um, we have used Zoom, Skype, Google Duo, FaceTime. You know, those have been the, the primary ways. But if a resident has, has a phone, or if the resident can get to the facility phone and have a private conversation, that's another strategy. From what I've heard and from what I've read um, through reporting and what I've, I've heard and uh, we've, we've had meetings with ombudsman is that these sometimes work for some residents and other residents, it, it just doesn't click, um, whether there's a technology gap, whether it's um, just... The, the whole situation is very confusing. For example, if you're uh, just setting up a call with a, uh, with a resident and there's hesitance, there's, there's uh, maybe a lack of trust uh, that otherwise would be there if they were speaking to you in person, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, there's, uh, they're disoriented because mm-hmm. they're, unfamiliar with uh, talking to people through video technologies. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm also curious what you've come across. 
Well, uh, I mean, that, that's quite accurate. Um, you know, we certainly have a lot of residents who are cognitively challenged and they are not, they're, they're not in the, in the tech world. They're not using, you know, cell phones and iPads, et cetera. So it, that creates, um, you know, a huge, you know, barrier. We just, I mean, we just, limited. I'm limited in what I can actually do for that resident unless somebody brings to my attention that there is, that there's a problem there. I have used um, Zoom as a way, uh, as a means of connecting with residents and, uh, you know, from an observational standpoint, if I observe something such as a person's uh, appearance is questionable, or there may be several uh, doing that Zoom visit, uh, then I can raise that as a systemic, you know, complaint without identifying a specific resident, because, you know, certainly personal appearance is very critical to a person's dignity. So just a, a little bit about you. Um, you've been, your career, you've been in nonprofits, you uh, were in the Peace Corps, um, you spent time overseas. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how you got into being uh, an ombudsman, how you, how you found yourself in this role? Well, I have always had an interest in wanting to work with seniors and um, my, my life experience just did not lead me to do this, you know, professionally. Uh, I've in in my many in my career, I've always had an opportunity to, to interact with elderly. In fact, a long time ago, as a little girl, what uh, my uncle and aunt, one of my uncles and aunts, owned a nursing home, and uh, that was my first induction. And I just had a love for elderly people. And I have, uh, I've, I've been an advocate long before I got into the professional realm of advocating, you know, for elderly. So when I retired from uh, the city of Dallas, uh, I retired because this job opportunity came available. I applied and I was selected. So that gave me an opportunity to um, leave municipal government and go over to the nonprofit side and, and fulfill a, a love that I have, and that is working with uh, elderly. Little did I know that the nursing homes are not comprised of just elderly people, you know, but nobody could have told me that before I got into it, you know. Right, I and mean, that is a that is a misconception about about nursing homes. How I, uh, people equate nursing homes with the elderly, and I add the the because they they always describe it as the elderly. But it is a wide ranging age of um, of people, and and this is just a question I just thought of. But with the younger age residents, are there different challenges on on at this time that versus the, I don't want to group all younger, or all older, but are there any unique challenges to those 
uh, younger residents uh, in long-term care right now? A few who I've spoken with have been challenged with having to stay in the rooms more, mm-hmm. a, uh, a lot less social interaction. Some of the younger ones have been prior to COVID, were accustomed to getting up, getting dressed, going outside, maybe socializing with some of their friends. So COVID has at, you know, certainly affected that level of, of socialization. Again, being more confined to their rooms because of you know, the, the COVID status you know, in the building. And just to, just to talk on a personal level, I'm, uh, I'm 30 years old. I can walk outside. I have all sorts of freedoms, but even in this, uh, even with the restrictions going on, but it's having to go through various levels of my own restrictions over the last nine months has opened my eyes to what just the regular, what the challenges are. Uh, and must be for and and again I'm it's a fraction of it for me mm-hmm. what the what the uh, isolation must be like for mm-hmm. residents. Mm-hmm. There's various changes uh, that have been brought about due to COVID, and what what is one that you think is here to stay in the ombudsman program and in how you work, and what's one that you think um, is temporary and uh, you see uh, going back to normal as soon as things are uh, otherwise back to normal? I think that we are are going to see the use of technology being in place going forward and uh, we'll probably see that it will grow and expand for our residents and just a lot of you know constructive kinds of ways. It's just an incredible way of connecting with the outside world. And that was not really in place before COVID. COVID, you know, um, you know, brought this forward that we can use technology as a means of communicating. What uh, we hope to see go away and hopefully we will never see it again is we want to, we want our residents to be reconnected with their loved ones, okay? That contact is so critically important to the mental well-being of, of individuals. So what will be, what will stay, hopefully, will be the technology. And what we, what will go away is that lack of contact with, with residents. Uh, let's uh, let's hope. I just knocked on wood there. Um, and well, well, thanks for that answer. And we close our interviews with a guest recommendation. And I want to hear from you uh, about a, a it could be a movie, a TV show, a book, a song. What do you recommend? Oh, okay. Well, I am going to recommend a book that I have read this year. Uh, in fact, it was read. Um, uh, by a number of us at my church, and it's called The 40 Day Soul Fast uh, by Dr. Cindy Trim. That's what I would like to leave with everyone. And if I had a movie to offer, it would be War Room. 
First, I'm going to start with the 40 days of the 40 day soul fast. Okay. Uh, this is, it sounds like a wellness book. It is. It's a spiritual wellness uh, journey. Okay. Uh-huh. And have you been on it? Uh, did you oh, do? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And we started uh, prior to COVID, and then we had to shift over to the virtual format mm-hmm. uh, to continue um, you know, the journey. And I shared it with family members and uh, just really encourage others to read. It gives a lot of insight through the the teachings about self and, you know, being, becoming more authentic in our, in so far as our relationship, you know, with, with God. Yeah. And And, with each other. Yeah. And War Room, what's, uh, uh, what's War Room? Uh, War Room was a movie uh, about, again, it's a faith-based uh, movie about relations, family relationships and needing to inter- in- intervene or intercede on behalf of, of um, you know, your loved ones and, and praying for them, you know, and just having a private prayer place. Uh, you know, the Bible speaks of a prayer closet. And so War Room runs parallel with that metaphor of a prayer closet where you can just really steal away or break away and, and be in prayer. So rather than being angry and constantly uh, for your loved ones, but to start praying for them. Okay. And watch God do it. Well, thanks so much. Pema. I appreciate you coming on our, on our podcast. Uh, thanks Thank so much. You. Thank you for the invite. Thanks to Pamela Mickens for coming on the podcast. You can learn more about Pamela's work on the Senior Source website, the seniorsource.org. We'll post that link in the show notes. Up next, we have Patty Ducayet, who will talk about her Facebook live show and leveraging technology to educate the public. I'm here with Patty Ducayet, the Texas State long-term care ombudsman and we're on zoom and i can see patty's uh patty's recording studio because she does this uh weekly show for uh for texas that we're going to talk about a little later um but first patty can you tell us what an ombudsman is sure Uh, a long-term care ombudsman is an advocate for people who live in nursing homes and assisted living facilities or similar board and care facilities. They might be called different things in different states. And to advocate, that means that we work on solving individual problems, but we also look at the big picture and really try to tackle systemic issues, pervasive problems in the systems and improve life for the people who live in long-term care facilities. And what's your role with Texas's program? Well, I'm one of... For, uh, 53 state long-term care ombudsmen. So every state has one and a couple of special places mm-hmm. have one too. Um, my role is to lead the program to support the people who are going into facilities every day at, that we would call a local ombudsman to help them do their job, to set the policies that make kind of set the rules for what they do day in and day out to implement the federal law uh, that is designed to put us in the pathway of being a resident directed advocate. And one of your roles is, and as you mentioned, you're not just working 
you're you advocate for residents, but this involves working with families, it working with your own volunteers, and just connecting with people. And uh, the reason I invited you on is because you've found a way to do this through your uh, there's these weekly Facebook videos in your uh, in your recording studio, which I guess assume is just your your living room. You always have a nice piece of artwork behind you. You've been doing these, what, since since May? Since, uh, yeah, how long have you been doing them and how did this come to be? Yes, I think May 8th was our very first video. Um, we we do these through Facebook Live, so we just use the software that's available through, through that um, application. And yes, that's something really new that we've begun with, with COVID-19. And as soon as we got it going and started, there started to be comments from people watching, could you please continue this was sort of a first message and and please don't stop after the pandemic's over. Well, I think even back then we had no idea how long this pandemic would go, but that was very reassuring that reaching out through this method was a way to reach new people. And it is mostly family members of long-term care residents and also ombudsmen are watching. And these are, I've watched a few of them. These are half hour programs. You go over uh, national updates, uh, local Texas updates, and you're also, your head's on a swivel. I can tell you're getting comments and you're, you're answering them right. at the same, at like while you're, while you're discussing these policies, these updates, uh, what, what kind of information do you provide uh, in, in these programs? Uh, yes, it is a little distracting, first of all, <laughs> to do these, um, but you do get the hang of it. Um, and I mean, you just get the hang of it with some practice and, and maybe you have to be easy on yourself that you're not going to be perfect as well. Uh, the information that we have focused on is trying to let people know what we're, what we're hearing about COVID-19, uh, educating the public through all the ways that we're reading and watching ourselves and translating that to little bites of information that we think are going to be most important and most relevant to people who care about residents and long-term care facilities. So information about the disease, information from the CDC about policies that affect long-term care residents, and then a lot of information about visitation, uh, the, the topic was quickly focused on how will I ever get to see my loved one again? And there were weeks and months really of just excruciating conversations where I'm talking to them and, and hearing and reading their comments and, and just the pain that was expressed about separating, being separate from, separated from people that they loved. And I should say that in the beginning, I also really talked about the numbers of people who had died in our long-term care facilities. And after a while, that number, I, I stopped doing that on a daily basis and wanted to focus more on sort of the future and recovery. Yeah, there's, and just, just as an aside here, we're, uh, I've come across the same thing. I do, a, a, I always update our data sets on cases and fatalities. And one of the points I wanna drill drill to LTCCC's audience is that it's it's not just the cases and fatalities. Um, there's isolation. Uh, there's um, today we on a call, we talked about touch starvation. 
Mm. Um, and these, there's these effects that are not being quantified, uh, which is really, and they're disturbing. And when you only talk about the cases and fatalities, it almost um, underplays the significance um, of those other issues, right? Yeah, I, that connects with me pretty mm -hmm. deeply. I, I feel, I, I see what you mean. Uh, you know, one of the things we've done with our Facebook live events, they, they built this larger audience for us, not a huge audience, but uh, a larger audience for us with our Facebook page. And not only are we pushing out information there, but we're also asking for information through, through Facebook now because people tune in to watch me and sometimes a colleague of mine instead of me, I can post things like small surveys that then can gather really valuable examples of what people are experiencing to target questions about our Texas visitation policies and how they're affecting residents. What are you seeing as changes in the person you've now been able to visit once again with? And that has been a really valuable process for us. I've been able to take those survey results and share them internally at our agency to show them the pain and misery that people are experiencing to show the family perspective that there really wasn't a, a good way to do that before. For me, there wasn't a good way to show the family experience before we established ourselves better and more thoroughly on Facebook. There's been a uh, communication barrier that, that your Facebook videos have in some ways uh, reduced that barrier, but what other, what other COVID related barriers has the Texas Ombudsman Program faced during COVID? What comes to mind when you ask me that is to say that Ombudsman ourselves have a lot to work through in terms of our personal comfort level with being back in facilities, uh, with the potential to expose ourselves and our family members and our own household where there may be people with vulnerable and health conditions that are, uh, make them more vulnerable to COVID-19. And so that, I guess, I, I guess it's right to call that a barrier that our, that our own fears are playing a part in, in how we serve people in Texas through the long-term care ombudsman program. And, and so that's been really tough. Something much more tangible, I guess, than that example is we never had things like PPE in stock for the ombudsman program. So this has been just a, a complete new process to, to implement into our program. So we needed to get it. Um, we decided to, to buy PPE really at our state level and then send it out to our programs. And then that becomes kind of a full-time job for one person on your team. Uh, buying stuff like this was new to us. And, and you know, we all know that there have been challenges with getting our hands on good quality PPE. So that has been another real barrier, but we, but we did over the summer, we mastered it and we've got a process going. It's a little bit clunky, but it's working. And it means that, that we have PPE in the hands of all of our ombudsmen who are ready and willing to make facility visits at this point. So something I've been thinking about um, both in terms of long-term care and just um, in terms of how we live our lives are what, what is here to stay? 
you just mentioned PPE. I think there, uh, when uh, when COVID is, if and when it, it's less of a uh, it's less of a concern, I would think that PPE will still be a priority for everyone going into skilled nursing facilities, um, and that'll be a area of concentration for ombudsmen. Uh, I think you mentioned when we were talking before, there's a a new focus on infection control. Can you elaborate on on that? Sure. I I do think that uh, PPE is here to stay. I don't think perhaps we will need to wear what I've got on but's been wearing all the time. But I agree with you. I, I see a responsibility as the state ombudsman to ensure that we have a means to procure PPE and have that available for our ombudsman. The other thing that's, I for us, I would say feels new is infection control. And, and that is really seeing ourselves as a part of the infection control monitoring process. Um, seeing a role for ourselves to speak up about concerns with staff or residents not wearing their their masks properly and to speak up about that to address it to feel and be an expert even if it is a bit of an armchair expert on infection control and to get comfortable talking about it that has been a process throughout this year we're still working on it and it's going to take more training but that does seem like something we can really add value here. Also here to stay, I suspect, uh, will be the Facebook videos. Uh, it's, it seems like there's going to be people do, uh, this is how people take in media, how people consume information. Uh, but it, uh, would you say that that's something that that will extend beyond, um, beyond COVID? Yes, I think it's fair to say that we want to keep this this level, this quality of communication with the public going, this kind of interaction with the public. And and also, I I haven't mentioned this yet, but we're doing a better job of communicating with the local programs in Texas because of COVID. They've got so much information to absorb and try to respond to all the problems that they hear about directly. And so we have to help siphon that information and we have to give it to them in bites that they can manage. And we need to show them we're here and be very available through opportunities to just talk to us. So we now in Texas, you know, we've got a couple of times a week where it's just an open phone call with ombudsman and it is staff. We aren't doing this with the volunteer force as well, but but this has been a real improvement, I think, for our state ombudsman operations. And that, we need to keep that going. That ombudsman deserve, deserve that. I think what will be challenging with keeping Facebook Live going, for instance, is when to know that people are really ready for a new subject, because it really has only been about COVID-19. In fact, Eric, a few months ago, we tried to talk about voting And it was like the angriest comments we'd ever seen. 
we don't care about voting. We're worried our, our, you know, our parents are dying in the facility. Stop talking about this. I mean, we, <laughs> and we had to really do a written mea culpa on that particular post, as well as a little bit late, but recognize when it was happening that we needed to stop and turn back to human, human interaction again, visitation again, because that's where, that's where the viewers were. And we had, that was an important lesson to learn. We uh, and we focused on voting too. We got some of that. Some of that. How can? Why are you concerned about their votes when they're dying? At the same time, uh, we also did get some feedback that this this, this is an essential right. Uh, but it's a t- it's a tough line to to walk. And I don't I don't envy you being in in the position of getting those those angry comments um, and anger from a place of uh, from a warranted place. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, and just to talk about that, I mean, there's a lot of emotion that comes out of people during not just ours, but other kinds of live streaming video opportunities. And you, it is an interesting uh, dynamic and a, an interesting experience, but practice does allow you to get better at not taking it personally, to learn from it, to try and express and acknowledge feelings uh, in a helpful way. And really by and large, I would say it's incredible the amount of supportive comments we have received from our efforts, our imperfect but sincere efforts to share information. How would people find uh, information on the uh, Texas Ombudsman program and uh, what's the Facebook page? How do they, how do people access that in the video? Um, the, everybody can search on Facebook for Texas Long-Term Care Ombudsman and that'll get you right there. And we have our, our state website has our information and you can if you Google Texas long-term care ombudsman, you're always going to get a good high-level link that takes you to both our Facebook page and a second one to our website for information. And as you were talking, I just looked up the link. It's facebook.com slash Texas LTC ombudsman. And we'll post that in the show description and, and you'll be able to find it. We close our interviews with uh, our guest recommendations, and I'm going to ask you for a long-term care-related recommendation. This could be an article, a book, a movie, a song. What do you got? What I've got is a, a book. Uh, it's called Trauma Stewardship, and I was lucky enough to read it before 2020, uh, but it has served me well. The, the subtitle of the book is An Everyday Guide to Caring for Self While Caring for Others. And it's by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky and Connie Burke. And the reason I know about it is I was attending a conference uh, for adult protective services professionals last year. They do a big conference in Texas, and it's actually fairly national. Laura Vandernoot Lipsky was a keynote speaker and she, and I both bought the book there. And I mean, it's so pertinent to be reading about grief and trauma and how you 
can't help others if you don't take time for self-care. Uh, and I have tapped into the what I had read. I've tapped into it as much as I can this year. It's been a, a helpful tool for me. And I was thankful to have been introduced to the content before 2020, just before. And a bonus recommendation. What What's your, your self-care uh, go-to? <laughs> oh, well, that's not okay. My self-care go-to exercise weightlifting. <laughs> Lifting heavy weights makes me feel powerful and it releases energy and it's good for me. So that's my go-to other resource and or recommendation. And then another recommendation I'll make just to you, Eric, or what, whomever, yeah. is to watch, you know, we're in December. So watch Die Hard and Die Hard 2. <laughs> okay. And the reason those are my recommendations uh, are because when I tell people how to pronounce my name, I always say Yippie Kaye uh, to remember Du Kaye. And that is from, that's thanks to Die Hard. Okay. There, Yippie Kaye. <laughs> so I uh, read, read trauma stewardship, uh, lift weights and watch Die Hards and <laughs> we'll all be set. Thank you so much, Patty. <laughs> I appreciate the time here. Uh, thanks, Eric. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this special two-part episode of the Nursing Home 411 podcast. This will be our last episode of 2020, but if you're still here, if you still made it 40 minutes into this episode, I have a favor to ask, and that is to subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for all your support this year, and I will talk to you in 2021.